Amen. Uh, so, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I know that church is over in like uh, 10 minutes, but uh, we'll just see what happens. I promise to get you here out of time. Uh, James chapter 1. We've been working our way through the book of James. We've talked about trials. We've talked about wisdom. We've talked about wealth. We've talked about temptation, anger, being doers of the word and not hearers only. We've talked about hypocrisy. Today we're going to talk about James chapter 1, verse 27 through chapter 2. Verse 13, men, you remember that game when we were little that we would play called Mercy. Uh, You'd play it with a friend. You'd grab a friend's hand. Uh, It's the only time you'll see men holding hands uh, on purpose. Uh, You hold hands, and then the point of the game is to try to put so much pressure on your opponent's hand that they have to cry out, Mercy, right? And that's how you know that you win. And that's how we think of mercy, isn't it? Mercy is something that I request when I'm in need. But there's another side to mercy. And we're going to see that today, that mercy is not just something that we can request. It's actually something that we need to offer. As followers of Jesus, we need to offer mercy. And here's the main idea. I know we don't have a lot of time, so I'm just going to give you the main idea today. Mercy is always the right answer. Mercy is always the right answer. James chapter 1. Verse 27, this is what it says. Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ without showing favoritism. For suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring dressed in fine clothes, and a poor man dressed in dirty clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the man wearing the fine clothes, so that you say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor man, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you dishonored the poor man. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Don't they blaspheme the noble name that you bear? If you really carry out the royal law prescribed in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the entire law, yet fails in one point, is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you are a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who hasn't shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. A few things that I would love for you to see. First, it's human nature to give preference. It's human nature to give preference. Verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Then he goes on to to give a hypothetical situation about a, a rich man who comes in wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and a poor man dressed in dirty clothes comes in. And, and what are you going to say to the rich man? Where are you going to sit the rich man and where are you going to sit the poor man? But it's our human nature to give preference to people. That's why he uses orphans and widows. Uh, James is not saying that the only pure and undefiled religion is ministry to orphans and widows. So if you're doing any other kind of ministry, it's somehow less pure. But in the scripture, the orphan and the widow stand in for those who are helpless to help themselves. So it's not just this two specific groups of people. 
But what James is reminding us is, hey, we don't want to just prefer those who can help themselves. And especially we don't want to prefer those who can help us. We actually want to give preference. We want to give preferential treatment to those who need us the most. This word favoritism, it literally means to receive face. So when you show favoritism, what you're doing and what I'm doing is we're looking at people and we're looking at their outward appearance. We're looking at who they are, what their background is, what they have, what they don't have. And we're making a judgment call saying, I'm going to receive them based on what they look like, what they have, what I can see on the surface. Jesus speaks to these same ideas with a parable in Luke chapter 10. You can turn there if you want. It says, This then, an expert in the law, stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So this young person comes to Jesus, asks a genuine question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus flips it back around to him. He's like, how do you read the law? What do you think God requires? And he gives a great answer. Love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, this is a good answer. But this guy was one to draw out a compliment from Jesus. You ever do that in conversations? You just linger a little bit on a topic so that they can compliment you for how well you're doing and what you uh, should be proud of. Well, that's what he, he does. So he asks a question in order to draw out that compliment. Well, who is my neighbor? I'm guessing he already loved his neighbors, but Jesus is going to redefine what a neighbor is. So he says this parable, verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. And he went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, "'Take care of him.'" When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. So the scenario in Jesus' story, a Jewish man traveling, gets beaten up, robbed, left for dead. Two other Jewish men, a priest and a Levite. They were religious leaders. They were the most religious of the most religious leaders. They're walking by. Instead of helping him, they actually try to put as much distance between the beaten man and themselves. They walk by on the other side of the road. And here comes a Samaritan. Uh, Now, there was an incredible amount of racial tension between Samaritans and the Jewish people. I brought a map so I could just help you understand this racial and religious tension uh, that they were going through. You can see the map on the screen uh, right now. There it is. Thank you. So you see Samaria right there in the middle. Below it is Judea, and Jewish people lived in Judea. That's where Jerusalem is. Then at the top, in the purple, you can see Galilee. Jewish people also lived in Galilee. That's where Jesus was born. Uh, That's where Jesus spent most of his time in Galilee. 
Now, there was so much tension between the Samaritans and the Jewish people that when somebody from the north, from Galilee, needed to travel down to Judea, they hardly ever traveled through Samaria. So if they needed to go to Jerusalem for some reason, they didn't just cut straight through Samaria. They would actually go east to the Sea of Galilee, and they would follow the Jordan River down towards Judea. To you and I, it would be like despising Oklahoma so much that if we had to get to Kansas, we would actually go through Arkansas and through Missouri into Kansas. We would just skip the whole state of Oklahoma because we just didn't like them that much. That's what the Jewish people would do. And it was both ways. The Samaritans didn't want the Jewish people in Samaria either. In fact, there's a story in the Gospels that when Jesus is actually traveling through Samaria, so he does cut on through. The Samaritans find out that he's on his way to Jerusalem. So he's from the the, the Jewish uh, center in the north, Galilee. He's going to the Jewish center in the south, Judea and Jerusalem. And they're like, no, if you're headed to Jerusalem, then we don't want you here. They actually reject him. So it went both ways, an incredible amount of religious and racial tension. So if Jesus was playing by the expected norms, And he was telling this parable about the Good Samaritan. The hero of the story should have been a Jewish man rescuing another Jewish man. But he speaks right into the middle of this racial and religious tension. And he actually makes the hero a Samaritan. And that means the priest and the Levite, they did what was wrong. They crossed by on the other side. A couple of weeks ago, I had an appointment near downtown, and you know how it is when you travel downtown. you got to give yourself extra time because you don't know where you're going to be able to park. And so I parked a few blocks away uh, from where I needed to go. And, and so I'm not in a hurry, just kind of lingering, and, and I'm standing at an intersection. And while I'm standing there, I, uh, there's another guy standing there. And so we start a conversation, and I start hearing some of his story. And he was such a persuasive salesman that within just a few minutes, I'm considering buying him a bus ticket to Austin. That's what he's asking for, to, to, to go to Austin. He needs a bus ticket. And and I'm like genuinely thinking about it. I'm trying to figure out how this is going to work because I don't have any cash. And I'm telling him like, I, I'm here yet. I don't have any cash. And he's like, well, could you come to the bus station with me and buy it for me right there with your credit card? And I'm thinking, well, that's actually a great solution. But then I got that other thing in me, which is like, I just met this guy like 10 seconds ago. And then two, I got this appointment. I don't know where the bus station is. And is this a good idea? And he can tell that I'm kind of wavering about it. I'm thinking about it, but I'm kind of wavering on it. And so he goes, I'll pay you back next week. I was like, wait, wait a second, wait a second. I thought you were buying a bus ticket. I thought I'm buying you a bus ticket to get to Austin. If I got to buy you a bus ticket to, to get to Austin, I don't think you're going to come back on a bus to pay me back for whatever a bus ticket costs. And he got a big smile on his face because he knew that his story had kind of fallen apart right there. And, uh, and then I got a big smile on my face. And we did a big shake of hands and had a good laugh. And I walked on to my appointment and he walked somewhere else. <laughs> The next week, the next week, literally, one week later, I got another thing I got to do down there. I park in the exact same place that I parked before, and I'm standing at that same intersection, and up ahead is here comes that same guy. And you're thinking, man, I know what my pastor did. My pastor walked up to him and said, hey, man, were you able to ever get to Austin? How can I pray for you? How can I meet your needs? I, got, I went to the ATM just praying. I just knew God was going to put you here, and I'm ready to give you cash. No, I crossed the other side. Did. And I'm not ashamed to admit it today because you would have done the same thing. Because it's in our human nature to cross to the other side. It just is. We'll cross to the other side for anybody. 
You'll go and stop and help your best friend where they're the ones beaten and bruised. But if they keep being the ones beaten and bruised and robbed, you'll cross on the other side even uh, for your best friend. It's just in our human nature. It's in our human nature to do that. But mercy is always the right answer. The next thing I want you to see, even Christians can discriminate. Even Christians can discriminate. That's what James says. James chapter 2, after he gives his situation, if you look with favor on the man, verse 3, wearing fine clothes so that you say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor man, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So what happens is when we discriminate, because favoritism is receiving face, we look at somebody's face And usually we don't see our face looking back at us. And if we don't see our face in their face, we can casually push them aside. That's discrimination. It's us not seeing ourselves in them and then not treating them the way that we would treat ourselves. That's what the priest and and Levite do. They look down and they didn't see any reflection of themselves there. And they were judges with evil thoughts. They stood in their own pride and tried to decide, do I have time to help this man that's laying here dying or should I just kind of go on my way? They made that decision. They had the pride to make that decision. And and discrimination, it, it can't exist without pride. Pride is its fuel. It's us judging and in our pride giving preferential thinking treatment to others. You know, when it comes to discrimination, I mean, just the honest truth is we're all prejudiced. We just all are. And when it comes to that prejudice and discrimination, we usually end up saying they a lot. And everybody does it. Every group on planet Earth is prejudiced. There's not one group that has the market cornered on that. We're all prejudiced. We all discriminate. So if you start hearing your vocabulary sprinkled in with a lot of they's, and fewer and fewer we's and us. We want to guard our heart, measure our heart, because it's in pride that we say they. It's in pride that we say those people. It's in pride that we group people together. And listen, the honest reality is, and this is where it's hard, because we don't have any control over the they's. Even if we did everything right, we still don't have any control over how the they's might respond to us. But here's the reality. I have enough to work on in me. And if I work on the prejudice in me, my relationship with the they will take care of itself. It's pride and then it's, it's ignorance. You know, pride and ignorance are the parents of discrimination. I've told you before, but I grew up in uh, Missouri, southwest Missouri. I went to elementary and middle and high school in a place called Willard, Missouri, a little bedroom uh, community. And uh, I think in the mid-90s, it was the least diverse place on planet Earth. I I just think that it was. I don't have any real proof of that. But uh, in in my whole uh, schooling, uh, I only ever went to school with just two uh, minorities. And I don't mean two different minority groups. I mean, literally only two people that were not Caucasian in my high school. And I had a pretty, you know, average sized high school. And so there was a lot of ignorance in me. But when I met Amanda from Houston, Texas, and went to an incredibly diverse school with a, a family that was very warm and welcoming in, in the way that we should all be, she really helped show me just how my ignorance would play a role in my life. And listen, I wasn't intentionally doing anything. That's not where my heart is. I think that's where most of us are today. 
Like, I don't want to be racist. I don't want to be prejudiced. I don't want to give preferential treatment. But the truth is, is most of us are just ignorant. And we're ignorant because I'm the only face that I see when I look in the mirror. That's the only face staring at me. So I'm thinking about myself all the time. And I'm only seeing myself all the time. It's hard for me to imagine what it's like to be somebody else. But what would it be like if when we heard someone else's story, we didn't judge their story in light of our story. We just judge their story in light of their own story. What if we didn't filter through their experience based on our experience? What if we let their experience just speak for itself? What if we just committed? I want to be less ignorant. Because it's in ignorance that stereotypes will continue to exist. And it's in our ignorance that we'll continue to treat people according to those stereotypes. And I know our heart today, our heart is, I don't want any part of that. And I want God to root that out of me. But I have to be less ignorant. i got to put myself in the shoes of somebody else. The reality is, is that even Christians can discriminate. The next thing I want you to see is God does not pick his team like the world picks its team. Verse 5 of James. He says, listen, my dear brothers, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? So he's saying God chose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. See, there was this thinking, this faulty thinking in the first century among Jewish people and then even sometimes among Christians that if you had a lot of wealth, that that was a sign of God's favor. Now, our wealth is the favor of God on our life, but we can't look at somebody and say, because they have resources, that means that God has favored them. Because what happens, and it's what happened in the first century, is they would say the rich have God's favor, but the people who are not rich, the poor, God has not favored them. And so in that culture and in that thinking, you were either doubly blessed or you were doubly cursed. You were doubly blessed because not only did you have the favor of God, but you were rich. And then you were doubly cursed because not only did you not have the favor of God, you didn't have any money to go along with. You couldn't even uh, comfort yourself with what you had. But Jesus corrected that. James corrected that by saying, no, actually, God starts with the poor. God chooses the poor. He chooses those who have need. And that means uh, if you have wealth today, does that means you can't be on God's team? No, it just means if you have wealth today, make sure you are feel really connected to your need. Make sure that your resources does not sever your felt need to the presence and power and provision of God. Because if your wealth severs your need, then your faith is going to dry up. And when your faith dries up, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says it's impossible to please God. So it's not that God prefers the poor over the rich. He just starts with those who know they have need. You know, when we think about who's going to be on our team, when we think about who we're willing to stop on the side of the road and help, when the world does that, it has its own grid, you know, its own grid. We all do it. We have this internal grid. You know, very good, good, average, below average. And then we just kind of use it to judge people. You know, how do they look? What's their appearance? Is it very good? Is it good? Is it just average? Is it below average? What do they have? How much money do they have? Is it, is it very good? Do they have a lot of money? Do they have just medium amount of money? Do they have not have any money? Are they funny? Are they very funny? Are they just medium funny? Are they just average funny? Are they not that funny at all? Because I don't want to spend that much time around people who aren't funny. You know, 
what's their personality like? Do they have an above average personality? Do they have a below average personality? Are they hidden right in the middle? You know, what's their house like? Because, you know, I want to go to nice houses. Do they have an, a, a very nice house? Do they have just a nice house? Do they have an average house? Do they not have that nice house? We just use this. The world uses this. And if the world wants you on its team, this is how it's going to decide who's on its team and who's not on its team. But God doesn't pick his team that same way. He doesn't pick his family that same way. God has his own grid, and his grid is one word, and it's whoever. You know how I know that? Because Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. So it's good news today. So some of us in here, we're like, I've sinned so much. I have wrecked my life in so many ways. I'm here at church, but I just know God cannot forgive me today. You just ask yourself, are you a whoever? Whoever believes in him, the son of God. Can you believe in the son of God today? Then you can be forgiven. You're like, I'm a prodigal. I, I used to do this. I used to be an every week church person. I used to own a Bible. I was all in, but I went off the reservation. I left and I've been gone and now I'm back, but I'm pretty sure that I can't come all the way back. I'm going to have to live out in the yard of the kingdom of God. Are you a whoever? Are you a whoever that's willing to believe in Jesus, the Son of God? Then you can come all the way home. You don't have to stand outside. This is good news. And if God welcomes whoever, then his people need to welcome whoever. If his, if his grid just has one word, if he's going to stop on the side of the road to help, and it's just whoever then our grid just needs to have one word when it's our turn to stop and help. The next thing that I want you to see as we get close to finishing, those who favor, those we favor don't often favor us. Look at verse 6. He says, Yet you have dishonored that poor man. Don't, don't the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Don't they blaspheme the noble name that you bear? Meaning you guys are given so much preferential treatment to the, the rich and those with wealth. And he's, listen, they're taking you to court. They're exploiting you. They're trying to actively take your money. See, what's ironic is that priest and, and Levite that passed by on the other side, if they had been the ones beaten on the side of the road, everybody would have stopped. Because they were important. They had an important place. They would have been wearing nice robes. It would have been obvious by the way that they were dressed that they were somebody that you should stop and help for. So if everybody would stop for them, but they wouldn't stop for anybody else, that shows us we don't need to put our hope in those we right now are giving preferential treatment to. Because often those we favor don't favor us. The next one, the simplest rule is still the best rule. Verse 8, if you really carry out the royal law prescribed in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. So James is quoting Jesus, and Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. The simplest rule, love your neighbor as yourself. means we want to think differently. I mean, think about how different the church's reputation would be if we just put this simple rule into practice. I mean, think what we could do. Think about the influence that we could have in this world. You know, Christians are always complaining, always complaining, always complaining about how the world doesn't respect us, it doesn't listen to us, it doesn't take... I mean, just think how much respect we would have if we really just put this simple rule into play. 
I'm going to love other people as much as I love myself. But it's costly. This is an ex- it's expensive to love your neighbor. I mean, think about the good Samaritan. He had to give two days wages to pay for this guy's hotel stay at the inn. He had to give up his bandages and his oils, the stuff he was saving, his first aid kit that he had bought for himself, he had to use on this man on the side of the road. Listen, nothing cuts to the heart of my selfishness when I have to give to somebody else what I had intended to give to myself. Generosity is easy, I think, when you find out a need and then you just go to the store and you get that thing to meet that need. I think that's easy. What's hard is when you had something for yourself and then you take that thing that was for you and you have to give it to somebody else, which is why it's hard to give our money because that's our money. We had set it aside for us and then God is asking us to give it to somebody else. It's expensive to love your neighbor. It's expensive financially. It's expensive in your time and it's expensive in your heart. But the simplest rule is still the best rule, which is why mercy is always the right answer. Next one, favoritism makes us lawbreakers. Look what he says next. But if you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law yet fails in one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you are a lawbreaker. What's James What's he saying? He's saying, listen, our favoritism, our preferential treatment, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal because it reclassifies us as lawbreakers. Reclassifies us as lawbreakers. About a year ago, I got a phone call. I didn't recognize the number, so I did what we all do. Just let it go to voicemail. Check the voicemail on the phone. Hello, this is Detective such and such from the Atlanta Police Department. I've really been looking for you. I need to talk to you immediately. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been to Atlanta. I'm pretty sure I didn't commit a felony there. What if I did? Like, what if I accidentally did? I started getting nervous. I'm trying to like replay my past. Like I black out and get on an airplane and go to Atlanta, commit a crime, come back. And now they've caught me. Like, did I not cover my trails good enough when I was blacked out? I watch a lot of crime shows. You'd think that that would just be in there, how to get away with it. So I call this guy back, like, immediately because I'm nervous about what he wants. And uh, I say, hello, this is Curtis Jones. You just called me. And he's like, who's Curtis Jones? And I'm like, I'm the guy you've been hunting for, apparently. (laughs) And he's like, no, 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 no. I must have called the wrong number. I'm like, well, the next time you call a number, say who it is you're looking for. But I thought maybe I was a lawbreaker for just about four minutes, and I was freaked out. Just freaked out. And here in the scripture, it tells us if we're prejudiced, we're lawbreakers. If we show favoritism, if we look at other people and all we're looking at is our own face in the reflection. We're transgressors. We're lawbreakers. And listen, if we break the law of God, it should break our heart. And for too long in the history of humanity, people have claimed that you can be righteous and be prejudiced. And I'm telling you right now, according to the word of God, you cannot be righteous and prejudiced. 
You can be prejudiced and go to church. You can be prejudiced and go read your Bible. You can be prejudiced and pray. You can be prejudiced and do a lot of kind things, but you cannot be prejudiced and righteous at the same time because it makes us lawbreakers. And if we find out today, oh my gosh, I'm a prejudiced person. It's just in my heart. I didn't want it to be in my heart, but I'm ignorant. I don't know. I don't think about people. I just think about myself all the time. If I hear that and I receive it today, man, my heart should be ripped wide open. But what's going to happen to most of us is we're going to go home and we're going to stare in the mirror and all we're going to see is me. And I'm going to stop thinking about what it's like to be somebody else. And I'm just going to keep on thinking about what it's like to be me. And I'm going to pretend that you can be righteous and prejudiced and you just can't. Favoritism is a big deal, which leads us to the place that we started. But mercy is always the answer. Verse 12, speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who hasn't shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It says that we've been given the law of freedom. So when God holds us accountable to the law, he's not trying to restrict us. He's actually setting us free, which is good news because you take this word. If you do everything that's in this word, you'll be the happiest person on planet earth. Because it's a law of freedom. And James is saying, listen, if you are only being judged by a law of freedom, don't judge other people with less than that. If God is offering you freedom, don't return judgment to other people. He says that mercy is our advocate in the face of judgment. To those who show mercy, they're going to be judged with mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So that's a big takeaway today. You know, what do we do? What do we do? We're all prejudiced. We're all ignorant. We all don't get it. We all pretend like we know, but we don't know. What, what do we do? The answer is show mercy. Well, how do I show mercy? If you see somebody on the side of the road, whether they're brown or black or white or something else, whether they're rich or poor, whether they live in a big house or a medium house or an apartment, whether they have a great job or not a great job, whether they're driving a Lexus or they're driving a clunker or whatever it is, stop and help. That's it. That's what it means to show mercy. Mercy is not just feeling merciful. Merciful means I'm going to pull my car over because there's somebody beaten and bleeding and dying here. I'm going to help. And Jesus, he's, is he not the ultimate role model for us in this? When we see it with his very dying breath, hanging beside two thieves, both guilty, both lawbreakers. And one of the thieves, he gets it. He gets that Jesus doesn't deserve to be there, that there's something unique about Jesus. And what does he say? Remember me come into your kingdom. But what's he saying? Mercy. I need mercy. And what does Jesus say today? You and I, we're both dying. We're both dying. Today, we're going to be together. We're together on this hill. We're going to be together in the kingdom. Mercy given. Maybe that's where you are today. 
you're like, man, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I'm not pretending that I'm not guilty. I'm prejudiced. I'm selfish. I'm filled with rage. I'm lust. I'm greedy. I don't think about other people. I'm just guilty. I just stand here and I'm guilty. Have your sins been forgiven? Have you ever come to the place in your life where you've looked at the Son of God hanging there on the cross and said, I need mercy. I need mercy. I'm guilty. I don't, I'm stuck here with all this sin. I need mercy. And Jesus can say the same thing to you today. I'm with you now and I will be with you forever. You become a Christian. You've been born again. You're like our friends who are baptized today. Buried in baptism. Our sin is put in the grave. Raised, raised, resurrected, clean and whole. So that may be where you start today. Is you need mercy. Before you can give mercy, you have to receive it. But whoever's on the side of the road, the right answer is always to stop. The right answer is always mercy. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And man, it just cuts to the core of who we are. It tells us the things that we don't want to hear. It holds up a mirror that sometimes is uncomfortable. It shines a light that sometimes is too bright. But in the midst of that, we just say we need your mercy. We're not perfect. We're not going to get it perfect. And for a righteous group of people, we seem very unrighteous. And we just say together, we need your mercy. We're thankful that you give it. You give it freely. When we're beaten and broken, when we're bloodied and bruised, when we're left for dead, you always stop, God. And I pray right now for somebody who feels that way. That, that's the way that they came into the parking lot today. They just feel like they've been left for dead. And they've got nothing. They feel naked. They feel vulnerable. They feel exposed. They feel like they've been left for dead. And you're saying to them today, I always pull over. I always pull over. You never cross on the other side of the road. I pray that would be the very breath of life into their soul today. I pray their heart would break out of your great love that you've noticed them, that you have a word for them. Thank you for the gospel of mercy. In Jesus' name. Why don't you stand to your feet?